The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. All right, I kind of have like uh, uh, something I want to kind of reveal, get off my chest a little bit. And I have this experience a lot, and maybe you're similar to me, but uh, I, I, I like food. Um, I'm a big guy, so I need a lot of it. But I often have this experience where, where the way I feel, a.k.a. hungry a lot of times, and the way I think is, hmm, Olive Garden. Like, for me, chicken Alfredo, if you feed me chicken Alfredo and the Zupa Toscana soup, like, it's, for me, it's, it's awesome. It's the best. While I'm eating it, I feel great. Uh, but this is what happens to me because 99% of the time when I leave Olive Garden, what I'm not feeling is, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> I mean, they have endless soup, endless breadsticks. Like, I never leave going, hmm, that was a good idea. I usually leave, like, like hunched over like this, and I'm like, Lauren, you, you have to pull up the car. You're going to have to get the car, please. And, like, I, like, struggle out because, again, endless breadsticks and endless soup. It's what it does to you. And, and so the way I feel I'm hungry and the way I think leads me to think that I'll be happy when I leave Olive Garden, but the truth is I'm not. I feel miserable. And so as I was studying this, this message and the scripture that we're going to be diving into, I kind of came across, um, he's actually a Harvard professor, and his name is Daniel Gilbert. And Professor Gilbert has spent his life studying happiness. He's made a career out of studying happiness. And I think he perfectly describes the way I feel a lot when he writes in his book, Stumbling on Happiness, and he says this, because predictions about the future are made in the present they are inevitably influenced by the present. The way we feel right now, a.k.a. I'm hungry, and the way we think right now, hmm, Olive Garden, <laughs> exert an unusually strong influence on how we think we'll feel later. I think I'll feel great, but in reality, I can't move. <laughs> and I think this perfectly describes how we treat something like happiness, how we treat the way we feel and the way we think and what we ultimately do about it. So I want to ask you this question as a setup. I want to ask you this question. Are we controlled by our cravings? And are we driven by our desires? See, I think we've all felt this way before, and we've, we've all probably said this maybe out loud, but maybe in our minds, and we've said, I want to do whatever I want to, whenever I want to. <laughs> like, because to us, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. Like, that sounds freeing. But, but I think it, there's not, you don't go too far thinking down that thought process and say, well, sometimes what I want to do is to hurt somebody because <laughs> they've hurt me. And so we have to press a, press a fit a little bit. We have to say, as long as I don't hurt anybody, I should be able to do whatever I want, whatever I want to. As long as you don't hurt anybody and it makes you happy, go for it. And that sounds good to us. And I think a lot of times that's, that's how we live. But I ask you again, are we controlled by our cravings? And are we driven by our desires? Because I think we've all been in this place where our eyes are bigger than our stomachs where there's a product that is bigger than our wallet. There's an attraction bigger than our willpower. And here's where it gets real, where there is temptation bigger than our faith. 
So where do our desires get us? They're there. We feel them. We know they're there. Our desires, our cravings, our, our hungers, where do they ultimately get us? Do they really lead us to happiness? Or are we just living in a suspended state of party all night kind of happiness only to wake up the next morning with a happiness hangover, face down in our own mess and our own shame, the mess we've created for ourselves? Do our cravings and our desires really lead to happiness? So if they don't really lead us anywhere, well, where do they come from? Are they a part of us? Are our desires, sometimes our selfish desires and our cravings, are they actually a part of our inner being or are they being controlled by someone else? Are we just puppets on a string? So I want you to picture it like this. You're in a boxing ring and your opponent is invisible but you're getting pushed, you're getting bumped, you're getting hit, you're getting beat, and you're seeing these bruises form, physical bruises from an invisible opponent that you cannot see and you cannot touch. These are the thin spaces in life. See, what if, what if there was another realm, an equally real, but another spiritual realm that is capable of hurting you, that is capable of manipulating you and harming you. It's a thin spaces. So for this new series, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. Now Luke, he's best known as one of Jesus' disciples, but he was also a great physician. This is a guy who spent his time studying and learning medicine. He spent his time treating sick people and healing people. So already before following Jesus, this is a man who has, who has spent his time to studying. He, he has a drive to learn. He has a drive to, to, to witness things and, and adapt them and apply him to his life. And so he's given the opportunity to follow Jesus. And he actually is witness to, to Jesus living his life, performing miracles, preaching with boldness. He's actually an eyewitness to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he pens it all down in this book called The Gospel of Luke. And it's written for the sole purpose to give a historical account, an eyewitness account, that this is true, that what happened is true. So you might think, well, why do we need Luke's account when we have Matthew, Mark, and John? Well, when Luke wrote in 70 AD, he was writing to a specific group of people to help them understand. And what he does is he actually describes to us an eyewitness account of how Jesus interacted with the physical and the supernatural. He describes to us the thin spaces. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to be reading there, starting off with verses 1 through 3. And it says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. All right, so we're going to pause there. Let me paint a picture for you here again. This is the moment where Jesus enters your ring. 
The moment where you're inside that ring, you have an invisible opponent who is beating you, who is physically harming you, and you can't see. This is the moment where you can reach over and tap Jesus, and he enters the ring. This is that moment in Scripture. See, what happens when we're in the ring by ourselves, left to our own devices, left alone, we so easily succumb to three major things. And it's the same exact thing that Satan wants to tempt Jesus with. Here we have Jesus in the wilderness. He is alone. Scripture says it's been 40 days. He hasn't eaten anything, so he's vulnerable. And Satan comes to tempt him. And he tempts him with three major things. It's the same thing that Satan tempts us with. And we're going to break them down here. First, in verse 2, it says, He was tempted by the devil. We need to understand that there is a real enemy called Satan. He is real, he exists, and he is intelligent. He is manipulative. He knows you, he knows your weaknesses, he knows your weak spots, he knows where you're vulnerable, and he's gonna do everything he can to destroy you. The sole purpose of our enemy, Satan, is to steal worship from God. He wants to take God's purposes for your life, and he wants to distract you away from them. He wants to rob them and steal them from you, so your life ends up in ruin and destruction. We need to know this. Satan is not God's equal, but he is given permission to turn our life into chaos and horror. So first, we need to know that there is a real enemy, and his name is Satan. Again, in verse 2, it says, He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I have been hungry, and I'm not just talking physical here. I'm sure all of us in this room can think about moments in our life where we have been in desperate need, where we feel like emotionally and physically we've been in a wilderness for 40 days and we haven't eaten anything. And there's no one there. We're alone. We're helpless. In fact, it seems like people are tempting us, like people are hurting us, and we are just hungry for something different and something more. We need to realize we have a real enemy named Satan. Secondly, we need to realize we live in a sinful world. We live in a world that is corrupted. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where disease runs amok, where we experience war and pain and hurt and loss and death. This is the world we live in. We have to understand it. And we're hungry. All of us, I think, are hungry for something more, something different, something new, something fresh. In verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, thirdly, it's sin. We have an enemy named Satan. We live in a sinful world, and it's because of this problem we all have called sin. See, in this moment, Satan wants to tell Jesus, you're hungry. Look, I know you're hungry. You've been out here 40 days, and you haven't eaten anything. You're hungry. So just take this stone and turn it into bread. And ultimately, what what Satan wants Jesus to do is to fulfill his humanity, his hunger cravings, because Jesus is both God and human. To fulfill your humanity, use your divinity to turn that stone into bread, knowing that if Jesus did that, he'd be going against the will of his heavenly Father. Sin, the greatest lie of sin, wants to tell you that you can be God. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want to. 
And don't let anyone tell you different. Sin wants to tell you that you can be God. See, sin hasn't changed. If you rewind scripture, when you go all the way back, God created the universe. He created earth. He created this place called the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve. And he gave them a perfect world, a sinless world. No pain, no hurt. But he gives them one thing. Just don't eat the fruit from this tree. But, but God, that's like organic fruit. It looks really good, God. Like, I don't think you understand. <laughs> I want that fruit. That would... That, <laughs> That was Adam and Eve. God, I want that fruit. And oh yeah, by the way, Satan told me that if I eat that fruit, I would be like you. If I ate that fruit, that I would, I would know everything. And so that actually sounds really good to me. So we're going to eat the fruit. Hello, shame. Hello, guilt. Hello, pride and jealousy and hurt and pain. Hello, sin. It's the moment sin enters our world. I tell our students this all the time. Look, we, we can play the, the blame game. We can play the game and basically say, well, okay, that was Adam and Eve's fault. Like, it wasn't the world I chose. Like, I didn't eat the fruit. Like, that's their problem. No. Because <laughs> here's the thing. I think every single one of us, myself included, we've all sinned a whole lot worse than eating a piece of fruit. And so in this moment, sin enters our world. And it's our problem. It's our fault. Together, it's our corruption. So we have to realize we have a real enemy. We live in a sinful world, and we're corrupted by sin. And these are the things that Satan wants to tempt us with. In the same way that he tempted Adam and Eve, in the same way that he's tempting Jesus, he wants to tempt us. So I want you to picture this. We'll keep the boxing ring, but for a second we're going to take the gloves off, and we're going to play a little slap boxing, all right? I don't know if anyone has ever played slap boxing. My siblings and I used to do this all the time. We're all five years apart. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Now, the problem is my older brother and I used to torment our younger sister <laughs> playing slap boxing um, because here's what we did. It was so easy. You, you literally start playing slap boxing, and then for my sister, you'd just do one of these. Like, and then she'd go, and then you're just like, bop. <laughs> like, it sounds terrible. I know. We're terrible people. Uh, uh, I would like to say I've since repented, but we still play the game. Uh, <laughs> Christmas is fun. Yeah. Hey, Kayla. Um, <laughs> but picture that for a second. This is how the enemy tempts us. This is what sin wants to do. This is what Satan wants to do. He wants to get you in that ring. He's the invisible opponent, but all of a sudden you can see something. He wants to attract you with something. Look over here. Look at this. You want this. You have to have this. You need this. And all of a sudden, this becomes our focus. And like my sister, that's it. That's all we see. And all the while, what this does is this only shows us this, but it conceals the knockout right hook that is coming your way. Eventually, at some time, it's going to happen. That's what sin wants to do in your life. Look over here, look over here. It's the reason that's sexual desire, something like pornography. It's the reason it wants to tell you, look, this is just temporary. It's just how you feel right now. It'll fix it for right now. And it wants to tell you that. But what it wants to do is it wants to tell you that, but it wants to hide the destruction for your marriage, the destruction for your children, or your future marriage, or your future children. That's the knockout blow. See, what happens is your personal weakness becomes the attractional force of sin. 
So if you struggle with spending money, well, guess what? There's always going to be another product that you want to have. Or even better yet, there's always going to be a sale. <laughs> God knows when there's a sale, we got to spend money. Like, that's going to be the attractional force. If you're, if you're struggling to deal with, with anger, there's always going to be someone there to push your buttons, right? Always. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. If you're addicted, there's always going to be someone to supply you more. And if you're doing your best to control your thoughts, to control your mind, there's always going to be an image that creeps in to bring back up a lustful thought or something from your past. Your personal weakness will always be the attractional force of sin in your life. So we think we're free to follow our passions, but in reality, we're just controlled by them. And what our cravings, what our desires actually do is they create an opportunity for the enemy to hit you where you're vulnerable. Because again, when we spend our time focusing on them, we put our guard down. We're in that ring and we put our guard down. And the enemy wants to attack us when we're vulnerable. And so Jesus gives us the example of what to do when we encounter these thin spaces. And if you're writing notes, I encourage you, whether you have pen or paper, whether you have a smartphone or a tablet, I encourage you to write this down. It's simply this, fight back. Now I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to say fight back, but then I'm going to not encourage you by saying that in and of yourself it's actually impossible. In that ring, fighting an invisible opponent, it is impossible for you to fight back. But it's not impossible for Jesus. So, we're corrupt, but he is perfect. We're sinful, but he is sinless. And God saw our problem. God looked down at earth and he saw our condition. And he says, I see a people that is corrupt by sin. And he set together an action plan, a rescue mission for us. And God himself stepped out of the spiritual. He came to the physical in the form of Jesus Christ. He walked this earth. He lived with us and among us, and he showed us how to live life. But more importantly, what he did is he said, I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going to place it upon me, and I'm going to take it to the cross. And on the cross, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay dead. And he rose from death, proving his power over our sin, proving his power over death. And then here's what he does. By simply believing in that, believing what Christ did for us, he sends his Holy Spirit to live within us. It is impossible for you to fight back without the Holy Spirit living within you. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to fight back. The Holy Spirit, the invisible spirit living within us through faith in what Christ did that allows us to fight back. That's why he came. Jesus came so that in our state, being bruised and beaten and bloody in that ring, that we could reach over and tap Jesus, and he enters the ring, and he says, I'm going to absorb the punches that were meant for you. Only through Jesus. So how? Two main points. To fight back, know your real enemy. 
So we need to understand who we're fighting, and we need to understand how he works. And so we're going to continue to break down these verses again. Luke 4, 3 says this, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. He wants to attack our hunger. Satan wants to attack our, our need, our desires. That thing that says, I want that, I need that, or I need that person. That's your hunger, both physical, emotional, and spiritual. He wants to attack our hunger. We keep reading verses 5 through 7. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Satan's telling Jesus, look, this kingdom that you created, I'll give it to you without you having to go to the cross. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. I'll just give it to you. See, the enemy wants to attack your dreams and your goals. He wants to attack your purpose. And what he ultimately wants to do is he wants you to take shortcuts. Because the, the plan that God has placed out for you takes you through seasons of hurt, seasons of temptation. Why? So God can mold your character so that your character can sustain your calling and your purpose. But the enemy wants you to take a shortcut because he wants to get you there before your character can sustain it. So when you get there, you're destroyed. You're humiliated. You're ruined. He wants to attack your dreams, your goals, and your purpose. Finally, we read in verses 9 through 11. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He wants to attack your pride. He wants you to be prideful. In this moment, again, Satan is attacking Jesus' humanity. And he's saying, look, Jesus, I want you to show off your full power. I want you to prove to everyone that if you jump off of here, God's going to save you because you're God's son. Go ahead. Do it. Show off. God, Satan doesn't want, <laughs> Satan wants to attack that. Satan wants you to do anything that you can to promote yourself. And if that means pushing other people down, go for it. Show off. And this is how the enemy attacks us. It's the same way that Jesus was tempted. So we need to understand our enemy. We're going to jump a book here, and we're going to go to Ephesians. And this is actually the writing of a man named Paul. This is a man who is a tremendous man of God, a church planner, a missionary. And he's writing to the churches in Ephesus to a people who are struggling with these temptations, to a people that are struggling just like us. And he's writing them to encourage on how to fight back. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 12. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. First, can I say this? Your, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. The devil wants you to be so consumed 
by someone else that hurts you. He wants you to be so consumed about everyone else. He wants you to fill yourself with jealousy for everyone else. Because if he can keep you consumed with everyone else, guess what? Your focus has shifted. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. You have a real enemy, and his name is Satan. Secondly, Paul is, is encouraging us, put on the full armor of God. So what's the full armor of God? Well, it goes on to tell us, it's this, the belt of truth. Look, we need to be people of truth, people of honesty. Not just for our integrity, but for the integrity of the good news. We need to be people of truth that are also people that are truthful with our own problems and our own sin and our own corrupted nature. We need to have the eyes that actually see that we are corrupted people. Let's be people of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, look, a breastplate's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect your vitals. Well, when you seek after God, when you run after God, you protect your heart. You protect the person that God created you to be by chasing after him. Feet fitted for readiness. Look, this just means you are ready. You are alert. That when the enemy does this, <laughs> I'm not falling for it. I'm alert. I'm ready to move. On God's command, I am ready. You've got the, the, the shield of faith. Let's say this. If you want to protect yourself against bigger struggles, you need bigger faith. You want to make your shield bigger? Have more faith. That shield's going to protect you. That faith is going to protect you against the enemy's attacks. We have the helmet of salvation. Well, a helmet protects your head. We need to be people of wisdom, people that know to rely on God's wisdom in our life, God's purposes and God's plan, people that actually hear the voice of God, that are in tune with him because of their relationship with him. Let's be people of wisdom. Lastly, the sword of the Spirit. The sword is the word of God. The sword is the only offensive weapon in that full list of armor. We need to know the word of God. We need to know what the word tells us about our enemy. We need to know what the word tells us about ourselves. And we need to know what the word tells us about our Heavenly Father. Know it and draw close to it. Lastly, to fight back, we rely on Jesus to be our victory. We rely on Jesus to be our victory. Luke 4, verse 1, we go all the way back to the beginning of the story. And this is something that I think we miss when we read this. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. <laughs> Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, not by Satan, by the Holy Spirit. And if we miss that, we miss the point of this message. The Holy Spirit actually led Jesus into the wilderness, into temptation. So we need to learn to rely on God because I think in that moment where Jesus is being led into the wilderness, Jesus knew that the strength of his heavenly father would overcome any temptation the enemy was going to throw at him. He knew it because of his relationship with his father. See, and it's the same for us. And I think we walk through this process of faith 
I think especially when we first come to faith, when we first say, Jesus, I believe what you did for me on the cross, I think so often this is what happened. We say, God, I've sinned too much. I'm too far gone. God, you can't save me. And Jesus is just like, give me your sin. Give it to me. Jesus, you don't understand. You don't understand the things I've done. Give me your sin. And I think eventually we come to a place where we go, okay, okay. And we give him our sin. And in that moment, our sin is placed on Jesus. It's placed on his shoulders. The weight of all of our sin, our sinful nature, our destruction, it's all placed on Jesus. And he bears the weight of it. And he looks at us. And he says, go live your life. It's the moment Jesus enters the ring. Go live your life. I'm going to stand in this ring. I'm going I'm to absorb the punches that were meant for you. I'm going to take the blows. Go live your life. And we stand in this place of grace where for the first time we fully understand love and compassion. We experience it. But then something else happens too. We start to feel guilt. Jesus, I'm so guilty. I'm so ashamed of what I, what I did to you. I'm sorry. And here's where you have a choice. Scripture tells us that we're made brand new in that moment. You are a brand new person. But do we really believe it? Because I think so often what happens is we get to this point and we say, God, I'm so ashamed. We're still a sinful creature. <laughs> It's not like the temptations are gone. It's not like they disappear. God, I'm so ashamed. I find myself back in this place where I've sinned, where I've messed up. God, but because of what you did for me, I I need to be better. I need to do better. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying that, but here's what happened. We say, God, now that I'm in this pit, I'm going to pull myself out of it. No, you're not. No, you're not. Without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit living within you, alive within you, you are no match for your sin and temptation. It is only because of Jesus and his Holy Spirit that we have the power to overcome our temptations and our cravings and our desires. That's it. It says this in Luke 4, verse 14, after Satan is done tempting Jesus. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. I encourage you this morning. If you're in a place where you feel defeated, if you're in a place where you feel like, you know what, my sin has grown, and now it's just this, this opponent that is just unbeatable. No, it's not. And here's why. Because Jesus already owns the victory. <laughs> what Jesus did on the cross finished it. It's finished. It's done for. The sin, the temptations that you're currently experiencing, Jesus has the victory over it. It's already defeated. All you have to do is surrender it fully and completely. And then in the moments of temptation, 
you recognize that it is not your own strength that gets you through it. It's the Holy Spirit living within you. So you draw close to God. And so you're in the ring. And instead of tapping out to Satan, you tap out to God. God, I surrender. I give you it all. And he continually enters the ring for you. Rely on Jesus to be your victory. Man, if you need a victory in this place this morning, it's Jesus. Because when we live a life where we understand our enemy and how he operates, and we understand and we know fully and completely that it's only because of Jesus that we can have the victory. And we draw close to him and we put on the armor of God. We're ready for battle. We're ready to fight back because of the Holy Spirit within us. When we do all of those things, we recognize that there is power in Jesus. There is power simply in his name. I want you to think about it this way. At the name of Jesus, all of heaven takes a bow. All of heaven surrenders at the name of Jesus. But it doesn't just stop there. At the name of Jesus, all of hell bows and surrenders. It has to because it's already defeated. When we rely on Jesus to be our victory and his Holy Spirit, there is power. It's unstoppable. So I'm going to encourage us to pray. I want you to just spend a few moments. It's just you and God in this moment. Believing that every single one of us have things that we need to surrender. Just this week, just this morning, we experienced those thoughts, those actions, those temptations. And I know what? We need to surrender it. We need to give it to God. So whatever you need to do right now in this moment, would you turn it over to God? Would you pray? Would you seek after him? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.